0: So let's get into Revelation 12. We're going to do it. First, we're going to start in chapter 13. So you're right next door to one another. And what we've been doing, if you're joining with us, we're talking about the tribulation period as we do this end time study. And in that tribulation period, we've made these observations. We're talking about the last seven years before Jesus Christ comes back. It's the most horrible time in human history. And it's really bad. Now, let me just back up and remind you why it's so bad, because part of this plays into what we're talking about this morning. Evil's going to end up running rampant. Remember, 2 Thessalonians talks about it, and 1 Thessalonians talks about it. 2 Thessalonians 2 says that the reason evil isn't having its full spread, full influence, is something is happening or is present right now that keeps a lid on evil. Do you remember the term that's used? In 2 Thessalonians, there is a re a restrainer okay there's a restrainer that's keeping a lid on sin that restrainer is going to be removed right before antichrist is revealed and antichrist then is going to uh... start running rampant the restrainer is either the holy spirit or it's the church and the reference here is to the rapture of the saints being taken away once that happens evil is going to have um, it's full sway it's going to be it's going to be basically okay, the gates are opened everything is out, or, you know, the dam is let loose and the waters are going to be running rampant. There is also another reason it's going to be so bad. During that time period, there's several divine judgments. They come in groups of, of seven, and there are three of these groups. Remember what they are? The seal judgment. What else? The trumpet judgments, and then the bowl or vial, V-I-A-L judgment, okay? Uh, But it's V-I-L-E as as well, it's vial. But those judgments come, and they seem to intensify as time is going by. In the second half, the trumpet and the bowl or vial judgments, they're going to be working simultaneously, and they lead up to that uh, point where we come to Armageddon, And it's going to be the end of the world unless Jesus Christ intervenes. And the trumpet judgments, the bold judgments, and the seal judgments are all indication of God's wrath upon creation, including man and creation, because of sin. There is another reason why it's so bad. Death and destruction are going to be at an all-time high, okay, that the instances. We are staggered. We are staggered when we hear of things happening like in Pittsburgh yesterday, right, where there's shootings. The end times is going to be filled with that type of thing. It's going to be where craziness is going to be basically dominating the entire period. As well, to make it worse, Satan and his hordes, uh, the one-third of the demons that follow him, will be allowed for a short period of time, unlimited access and, uh, and uh, attacks upon the world and the human race. That's what we want to talk a little bit about this morning is some of that what's happening during that time period. So here's the, before we go any further, let's just pause and say, okay, what does this teach me about God? If this time period is filled with all this destruction, this time period is filled with, with uh, attacks, this time period is filled with um, a short time. Satan will have a short time. He knows his time is short. What does that tell me about God? Number one, it tells me that God is in total control. God is in control of what is happening in nature. God is not letting things... He's, he's letting... He's, um, let me illustrate start this way. You spin the top. You let the, something loose. But I have, I have a fence here, and it can go anywhere it wants in this area, but it can't go outside the fence. Evil is going to be let loose, and it can do a whole lot of things, but there's going to be an absolute limit to the evil. Satan will only have a short time. Yes, he's allowed to do a lot of destruction, but he has a short time. God is in total control of what happens, and he is just in his judgments. What I mean by that is there's going to be persecution of his children. There's going to be saints that are going to be avenged during this time. And God, at the same time, like in the sixth seal, Revelation chapter um, 6, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the chapter, is they're saying, Lord, how long until you avenge us? And he's patient. He is waiting. Why does God not avenge his children's persecution right away? Because the Lord is not willing that any should perish. He's giving time for repentance. But one day he's going to be judging. So the book of Revelation tells us what's going to happen in the future. It's a warning. God has given it to people. He's going to restrain evil. He saves many souls in the tribulation era. It's a a terrible, terrible time, but it also shows his patience, as I mentioned, and it shows that God is holy and righteous, that he is going to judge. There will be a payday someday. Let's go a little bit further. Okay, main characters. I'll remind you that we talked about Antichrist. He is a major, major player at this point. Let's just remember where we were the last two weeks. Here's what we recall. Okay, he's described in several passages. He's the major human evil Character during this time period, very ungodly, opposed to everything that God has done in as far as righteousness. He is going to, with his skill set, be able and and uh, uh, his skill set and his enablement by Satan. He's going to rise above most people. Okay, we know that he is more stout than that is better looking than most. He has great. Um, charisma He has great speaking abilities. All that's going to be to, his, uh, to contributing to his success. He's going to become the political leader of the world. He exalts himself as God and demands universal worship. And he becomes the great persecutor of the Jews and the believers in time. So we understand that this, this character is a vile, vile character. And he's going to be defeated when Jesus Christ comes back. And he's, he and his henchmen, the false prophet, are going to be the first ones cast in the lake of fire. So what we know is this. We don't know who he is. He'll only be revealed when he signs that seven-year treaty with Israel. That means for you and me, it's really not wise for us to speculate, surmise. Is he so-and-so and 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 so-and-so? We don't know. We won't know. We're going to be taken out of here before he's going to sign that treaty. So it's impossible for us to know. I know we can speculate, but it's, it's kind of foolish to do that. Is it possible that he could be alive and in politics or maneuvering right now? Yeah, he could be. He could be. We don't know. We don't know the timetable. And I'll say it again the way we say it. Everything looks like the stage is set. It really looks like, man, we've got Europe in its, in its chaos. We've got the oil crises in the Middle East that is bringing all the world's attention to the Middle East. That Hey, 150 years ago, people didn't care about Palestine. They really didn't until the oil was found there. Now the whole world's focus is on the Middle East. Uh, Israel is now a nation. They weren't a nation before 1948. They have to be a nation to sign a treaty. There has to be a rebuilding of the temple for Antichrist to come and put himself there. He, that activity is in process right now. We, uh, the political environment. For somebody to take and set up a system with 666, you have to get rid of cash. And become more of a cashless society. Have we shifted in that regard? Yeah, economically, we've shifted away from cash and coins, and we're basically a computer age system, right? You buy and sell, do everything. So that six 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 system makes sense, okay? And you look at it and say, okay, everything is gearing up for it. That we're in, in one of the predictions in Daniel chapter twelve says that in that latter days, there's going to be an explosion of knowledge, right in the last days. Do we have an annual explosion of knowledge? I mean, just, just watch technology and watch everything. And, you know, the cell phone that you bought last year, how long is it going to take before it's outdated? It's outdated, okay, because that was last year, okay? Um, and just ask your kids, they know how to operate the things better than you do, okay? That explosion of knowledge is, is there's so many different prophecies that everything, everything on the stage is set, but the curtains are still closed. Now, could God rearrange the entire props? Yes. But if it were to happen today, is there animosity between Israel and its, and its nations living around them? Is there any threats from up north, Gog, Magog, the ancient site of Russia? Is that a threat to the Middle East at this time? Sure. Stage is set, but it could be rearranged. but. Yeah, it could happen any moment. Now, Revelation 13, let's jump and talk about this guy. Revelation 13, let's pick up. This is the story, the passage that's talking about Antichrist and his activity. In, in chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, it's the beast out of the sea. That's Antichrist. Let's pick up now in Revelation 13, verse 11. I beheld another beast coming up out of the... Are you with me? Okay, we're, we're Revelation 13, verse 11. He comes out of where? The earth. He had two horns like a what? A lamb, but he spake as a... Okay. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him. He causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven in the earth on the earth in the sight of men he deceives them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live he had power to live unto the image of the beast to give life, excuse me, to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small, great, rich, poor, free, bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell except for he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, but him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, his number is... 666. Okay, so we have that information that's given about that, gen- about that individual. Here you go. That's, uh, that's uh, giving, let's just highlight some of that information. Okay, here we go. He's called the beast out of the earth. The reason I want to point this out is the other beast, Antichrist, is called the beast out of the sea. Many commentators assume this, beast out of the sea of humanity. That this guy, there, there's a distinction between the two. The one is out of the vast spanse of humankind, a Gentile. When frequently the Bible talks about the land, when the Bible in prophecy is talking about the land, what land are they talking about? Israel. Okay, so there's the speculation that when it talks here in this passage about the earth, the the land, that what he's talking about is this guy is probably Jewish in background, okay, or claiming to be. Okay, and some politicians can claim lots of things. They can claim they have Indian blood, but they have so little it doesn't make any sense. Okay, here he could have that that Jewish, uh, um, what do you say? You know, uh, background or some some association. That's what that's what many commentators assume is the distinction: the beast out of the sea, the beast out of the land. And it kind of fits with what we want to go here in the next the uh, the next thought. He has two horns of a lamb. He spake as a dragon. Well, the dragon immediately throws you to who that he's speaking like. Okay, he's speaking like Satan. Because in chapter 12, which we haven't opened up yet, but chapter 12 talked a lot about the dragon, the great serpent, Apollyon, uh, the, the devil. It gave a lot of that information in chapter 12. And so somehow he's speaking with the empowerment of Satan, which makes sense because in the first part of this chapter... Antichrist was given power by Satan. Okay? He has horns, and if you remember from Daniel as well as in the book of Revelation, typically horns are representative of power, of authority, of you know, control, of leadership. In that sense that there's the ten horns that all of a sudden the Antichrist will usurp three of them and he'll become the main leader. There is also this uh, parallel, because we talk about Antichrist, he has heads, he has horns, he has crowns. But by comparison, this false prophet, this second character, second beast, he's less than the Antichrist because the Antichrist had more of these, this, the horn factor, the power of the authority. So he's not as powerful as Antichrist. The lamb, usually in scripture, is referring to something with religiosity. There were, lambs were common in sacrifices. So could this be a clerical person? Could this be a, an individual, I should say clergy-wise, could he be an individual who is associated with some type of religious activity, religious leadership. Well, he's gonna be actively involved in leading in worship, having people worship the beast. So some way, some form, this guy is a religious character. Could have some Jewish background, and it would make sense if he's trying to, you know, lead lead the peoples as a whole to say that Antichrist fills all the prophecies of Messiah. And all of a sudden he's pointing, you know, from a religious point of view. Look at all these prophecies in the books of the quran which by the way quran has a lot of different prophecies about messiah as well the bible has a lot of prophecies about messiah so he could be a religious individual using all these major religious books and saying he's the guy he's the guy and so we know this as well he's very similar to antichrist not the same thing he exercises the same power he possesses power to do miracles Okay? The miracles, there's many of them, according to this passage, they're different. He uses his power to promote Antichrist, not himself. He is, a, he is a spotlight to Antichrist. One of the major miracles pointed out in this passage is he's going to make a statue speak. That, that this statue, this huge statue of Antichrist is going to have living powers. Now, for you and I living in this day and age... We look and we say, hey, you could do this with holograms. Hollywood can do this kind of things. Okay. How that's going to happen, we don't know. Okay. How it's going to be effect. But if you were reading this passage 200 years ago, this would be more fascinating than you and I today. Because we, we're used to all this imaginative things that are being done that look so realistic. He's going to do it. And he's going to make this huge statue speak, but there's got to be more to it than Hollywood because he has power. He's doing it miraculous-wise. So it's not just using technology. He's, he's got some, some supernatural power to do it. He's going to then promote. Now, he's the guy who promotes the mark of the beast. The mark is Antichrist's number, but Antichrist isn't the one who initiates all this. It's his false prophet. He's the guy putting it together. He's the guy that's put this commercial um, program together that promotes Antichrist. And so he's going to then say, you need to have the mark or you're going to die. You can't buy, you can't sell. So he's the, he's the brains behind a lot of this taking control with Antichrist and how he's going to do it. Let's, let's make some comments. He's a powerful individual. When I say force, I mean a person. He's definitely a powerful individual in the second half of the tribulation. Remember last week? We went through and said Antichrist is... One of the kings during that time, the middle of the, uh, the tribulation, there's war. The king of the north defeats uh, and the king of the south defeat Antichrist. He dies. The king of the north continues south and he invades. Then in, uh, in Antichrist's death in his absence, the harlot The false church takes control. But the ten-nation confederacy that have been supporting Antichrist, they will throw away the harlot. They will just dethrone her. And they will take power for one hour. And then they see Antichrist has come back to life. They will give their power, their control, their kingdom, it says, back to Antichrist. He's in charge. Okay, now he's still going to use a religious entity to help him out. The religious entity is not the false church, but it is the false prophet now. And in the second three and a half years, the false prophet works with him. And he doesn't doesn't need a church because he's God, his claim is. He's God, he's going to declare you worship me. And so a false prophet is helping him that they we made this observation just as we are concluding. Many different folk will point out there's an unholy trinity. The person who's incarnate in the holy trinity is Jesus. In the unholy trinity it is Antichrist who dies and rises again. The one who is the master planner in the holy trinity is God the Father. The one who is the master planner in the unholy trinity is satan okay the holy spirit's job according to john chapter 14 15 16 jesus said when i leave i'm going to leave you another comforter this comforter shall not speak of himself but he shall speak of of me jesus said the holy spirit points to jesus christ okay and magnifies christ who is pointing to antichrist and magnifying antichrist The false prophet. Okay, so your parallels are there. And just like the Holy Spirit used a lot of miracles through the book of Acts and gave a lot of empowerment, the filling of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, to point to Jesus Christ, so too false prophet will do miracles and point to Antichrist. So there's a lot of parallels that you can see. When Antichrist, uh, when Jesus Christ comes back, for all their power, for all of their control, Jesus Christ has to but speak. And these two end up together in the lake of fire. They're the first two. Nobody else will join them in the lake of fire for at least a thousand years, according to the book of Revelation. And they'll end up in that lake of fire. Now, let's talk about the other architect of evil. And the reason I want to talk about him is because chapter 12 of the book of Revelation is dedicated to Satan, giving us information about him. Okay, so let's back up to chapter 12. And I know we're not doing this chronologically. We're doing this more uh, thematically. But let's pick up in chapter 12. It says in verse 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. She was great with child, okay? with child, She cried, travailing in birth in pain to be delivered. So this woman's pregnant, about to, or has delivered at this moment. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns upon his head. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. He cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Okay, She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up unto God and to his... To his throne. These are important little ditties here. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred threescore days. Okay, let's just stop there. Okay what it's giving us is some information. And we know this. We know that since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been active and alive and working well. During the tribulation, he's going to increase his activities. Revelation 12 talks about his increased activities, but before it gets into that detail of the tribulation, it gives us background information about this dragon, about this devil. And it points out that he is one of three major characters in chapter 12. You have the great red dragon... You have a man-child, a man-child that we just read. He is going to eventually rule with a rod of iron, okay? He's ascended up into heaven at some time. He has a throne in heaven, okay? He's going to rule all nations, as we said. Who's the child that is birthed in this passage? Who's the man-child? Jesus Christ. Did Satan ever try to kill him as soon as he was born? Okay, so this is a reflection, looking back and saying, okay, there was a, there's this man-child involved. This dragon is, at, and, and this is setting your scene. Your first couple of verses are setting the stage for the rest of the chapter. The dragon and the man-child are at, at a clash. Okay? Initiated by the dragon. The dragon wants to destroy the man child. He's opposed to the man child. Even though the man child has been exalted to heaven, he is still going to be opposed, and the rest of the chapter is going to tell us his opposition to the man child's rule. Now we, we didn't fill in, there's one other figure in the first few verses. Who is it? What is it? The woman. Okay, so the woman is described in this passage as a woman who's bringing forth this child in great travail, and there's a lot of symbolism with her that's clearly associated. She's standing on the moon. There's a sun around her. The number 12 is associated with her, the 12 stars that are there, and um, she is through whom this child comes. Who is this woman? It's not Mary. It's not the Virgin Mary. Okay, it's Israel. It's Israel. Yeah, because the woman, Jesus Christ, came through Israel, and if you go all the way back to Genesis 37, remember in Joseph's dream, he sees his parents and his brothers and sisters as the moon, the stars, and the 12, star, the 12 stars. And so that's the tribes of Israel, the beginning of them. And so this individual, this woman, who births the Christ child, he came through Israel, he's caught up into heaven. So this now is Israel post the ascension, coming into the tribulation period. This woman is being threatened. Okay, And so the dragon can't reach the child because the child's been taken up into heaven, sitting on his throne. So who does the dragon go after? If you want to get after somebody and you can't get them, who might you go after? Their children. You want to hurt somebody, hurt their kids. So who does the dragon go after that's left on earth who has to flee into the wilderness for 1260 days? Israel. Israel. Okay. So he's setting the scene for us by describing some of what's happened in the past it, through symbolism and bringing it and saying, okay, now here's what's going to happen at that point of 1,260 days are left. By the way, 1,260 days equals how many years? Three and a half years. Okay. We have, our again, our 42 months. We have the second half of the tribulation that the Israel is going to have to go on the run. Okay, now here's why she goes on the run. Here's the battle, the, here's what takes place. Look down, at verse 7. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, the dragon fought against his angels. And prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more. No more place found in heaven. And the great red, the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent, called the devil, Satan, which deceives the whole world, cast down to the earth. His angels were cast down with him. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, "Now is come salvation and strength and kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night." And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows he hath but a... And when the dragon saw that he was cast out unto the earth, he persecuted who... The woman, or Israel, which brought forth the man, child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness under her place where she is nourished for a year, two years, and half a year. Time, times, and a half a time, how many years? Three and a half, from the face of the serpent. The serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he may cause her to be carried away of the flood. The earth helped the woman. The earth opened her mouth, swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. The dragon was angry or wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Second half of the tribulation. Here's what's going to kick it all off. Okay, So what we have in this text is we have description of that great dragon. He's got his other names listed, some of the names we mentioned already that Satan has that are very important that described. He also has a third of the angels. The number of angels that were created, a third of them are following him. Okay. Uh, I understand that this third followed him in the rebellion back in the uh, prior to the fall. And so they're still in working in harmony with him. And so this is D, the, Satan and his demonic hosts that are very active in the second half of the tribulation. He's not here's here's some factors, okay? Satan's not working alone. Let's not be as believers, we have to understand this. He has hordes of followers who are bent on destroying Israel, destroying and opposing God's plan. So it's not just a one-man, uh, one-man uh, team. This is a, this is a whole army, a whole host of angels. They're going to invade planet Earth. We talk about, is there ever going to become an alien invasion? This is it. This is a true alien invasion that's going to happen sometime in the future, that all of a sudden Satan and his hordes are going to be cast out of heaven and they're going to come to the earth. Now, with that in mind, okay, understand, there's this major war, and it's going to take place in, in, the, in the middle of the trib, angels of God versus Satan and his hordes. They're going to have this major spiritual battle, physical battle in heaven. The lead person for God's army is Michael the archangel. By the way, Michael the archangel has opposed Satan before when they fought over the the body of Moses. Michael is the one that's mentioned in the Old Testament as the angel assigned to protect Israel. So he's a chief angel in heaven and has a lot of activity going on. They're going to end up casting Satan and his hordes out of heaven. They're going to come down to this earth, defeated in battle. And here's the key phrase that's really interesting for you and me right now. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. Now this is all future to us. Which means, this, th- these are some interesting facts that you now have to put together. Okay? Up to that time, Satan and some of his demons, they do have access into heaven, into the courts of heaven. Okay? And they do have some access upon the earth. They can go between heaven and earth, just like the angels go between heaven and earth. For people to say these types of things, that Satan and his demons are bound in hell at this time, that's not true. To say that Satan is down in hell and in control of those environments—that's not true, okay? That he—he's not active in heaven. I mean, hell. Excuse me. He's not active in hell. He's active, working against us in heaven, okay? What is his major attack? His major means of attack against you? Accusing us. Accusing us. Okay, and so what, what we learn is that only after this battle in heaven is he banned forever from heaven. Okay, and so up until that point he's the accuser, and then now he's he's lost his freedom. He's lost his audience before God, and he has three and a half years. By the way, he knows his time is short, he understands, he can read prophecy. Does Satan know the Bible? Yeah, he quoted it to Jesus multiple times. He knows scripture, okay? He knows what could be happening. So in this period of time, he's going to become very active because he knows his time is short unless he can change history and what's predicted history by upsetting the things. Okay, so what happens here is he's cast out and there's tremendous rejoicing in heaven that we read about already. The rejoicing is commanded. A loud voice is saying, come on, let's, let's rejoice, let's praise because Jesus has displayed power over Satan. He has defeated him and cast him out of his domain. This begins the markings, of the, this marks the beginning of the kingdom is coming, that Jesus Christ is ready to get his kingdom here to the planet earth. And it's, it's the it's this time where Satan's attacks on God's people stops. There's no longer that hurtful attacks where he's the accuser of the brethren. According to this text, he accuses day and night. And, and here's the unfortunate part. Mean, maybe not you. I give satan opportunity to accuse me i do things i say things i react to situations that satan could easily say hey look at what he's doing down there okay and i do that Uh, by god's grace you don't but i do and he doesn't doesn't let that go why is satan accusing us Okay, there's several reasons that we can look at. He's done it throughout history. We can look at Job was accused, Zechariah, Zerubbabel, uh, Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel the prophet were attacked and accused in Zechariah. He's doing it so that he would, he would turn God against us, so that God would remove his grace from us, so that God would reject us, so that he can point and say, he doesn't deserve heaven. And by the way, is that accusation true? I, you, we don't deserve to be in heaven. That is true. That is true. And so he's trying to turn God against us to to get God to remove his grace from us. Okay? So when that finally stops, okay, let, let me rephrase this. Okay? You, you go to work. You go to school. You, you, you get together as a family. And you got one person there that is so... I mean, they are just negative, negative. There is nothing good. They just they just find fault in everyone. They find fault in everything. Don't you just eat, love having a meal with them? What do you do at work when you run into someone like this? You, 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 you try to put space between you. Okay? You don't dare walk up and say, hey, how's your day going? Because they might... Tell you. <laughs> okay. So you want to get... This is what heaven's going to be like. Heaven, the people in heaven, and we're going to be there. Are we going to be glad that he stops accusing people? Yeah. And so there's going to be great rejoicing in heaven because he's finally thrown out. But it says rejoice in heaven, and the text says woe unto you who are remaining on planet earth because he's coming with his demons. He's filled with great wrath. Now the word that's used here in the book of Revelation, it's Thumas. It's not the idea of just anger. This is the violent, out of control rage. This is the nuts who go into synagogues and shoot people. This is that type, that, that over the top reaction. This is thumas. When Satan comes to Earth, he's going to be worse than ever before. Think about it. Does he bother you now? And then he and his hordes are going to come with vengeance. With, with venom, he, with his, his rage, because he knows his time is short, he's got to change history. Okay, and I remind you, he's organized, he's knowledgeable, he knows prophecy, he knows people's weaknesses. The, this, the, the earth is going to come under the attack of a raging beast. We know right now he is a roaring lion seeking whom he dev, may devour. This is going to be worse. This is going to be one of those wild beasts that kills for the joy of killing. Okay? Not, for, not for any kind of purpose other than destruction. And so that second half is going to be really bad. Now let's just pause for a second. What do we put together from this? Okay? Just as we, as we pause, false prophet, Satan, we put together this. Okay? Satan and his demons are real. This isn't, this isn't Hollywood. This isn't zombie stuff. Okay, I know there's a lot of zombie stuff out there right now. I remember telling you before that we had a young man come to the church one day in the middle of a week, just upset he, upset he needed to talk to somebody. He was so distraught because he feared what's going to happen when the zombie apocalypse takes place on planet Earth. He's seen so many movies, he believes that's how the world's going to end, with a zombie apocalypse. That's, that's, this isn't Hollywood. This is real. There is, there is an enemy in the spiritual realm that are dangerous. They are extremely persistent. They, they want to become the object of worship. Satan has tried this. He's offered it to Jesus Christ. He's going to do it through Antichrist. He wants to be worshipped by people. He wants to prevent Christ from ruling. He wants to create division between God and his creation, between his children, to separate us. He wants to wipe out the Jews. The, the Holocaust wasn't Hitler's idea originally. It was a satanic advice. The, um, you know, the Russian Holocaust that they did in the early 1800s, they weren't something that came out of Moscow initially. It came out of the pits of, of Satan's hellish mind. He's trying to destroy the, the individuals. Here we go. Satan, bottom line, hates us, and we need to remember that. We believers, now here's the, here's the flip side. We don't need to fear him. Okay? We don't need to fear him because of this. Nothing he does or says to us or about us can separate us from the love of God. I give Satan fodder to accuse me. But by faith, I know this is what Scripture says. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us freely, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Neither principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor death. He goes on, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jesus went on and said, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And he goes on and says, my father which he gave them me is greater than all. None is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Okay, the point being is the accusations fall on deaf ears before a holy God who says, I've extended my mercy and grace to them. I have birthed them. I have forgiven them of all their sins, past, present, and future. And nothing you can say will turn me against those that I've committed and made a commitment to, that I've birthed. Isn't that a gracious God that stands with us? Okay, here, let's go. He is, we need to remember this. Satan is already beaten to a degree, okay? Um, factually is Satan already been rendered powerless against us? Okay. Kind of yes, kind of no. Okay. Here's what we got. Jesus Christ himself took part of the same flesh and blood that through death he might render powerless him that had the power of death that is the devil. Okay. To a degree, what we read is God has delivered us from the power of darkness, has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. From a judicial point of view are we considered free and innocent of guiltless of our sins we are judicially okay from from a spiritual point of view can we defeat satan through the blood of jesus christ yes we have yes can he cause us to give in to sin no he can't cause us he can tempt us, but who has the final yes or no? Yeah, the responsibility. We have, we have through Jesus Christ, the power to defeat all of his temptations. He, has, he was spoiled. That is, his abilities were taken away from him. Uh, it, Jesus Christ, it's talking about in this text, have, having spoiled principalities and powers, triumphing over them when he died on the cross is the point. We can overcome his attacks, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he... You've got to love this passage. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He tells us in the book of James, resist the devil and he'll flee. Okay, those are the promises of God. The problem is we don't heed them. We give in to them. But from a spiritual point of view, we can live victorious Christian lives. Okay, we can resist Satan. And so what we have in this text is that idea that, that, and remind you that some in the tribulation period will have overcome Satan, they will have suffered martyrdom. It's interesting that he gives two, two ways that they've overcome Satan for all of his accusations. The blood of the Lamb is brought up. It's not through baptism, it's not through incantations, or Not through any, it's through the blood of the Lamb. We never, we ought never, ever minimize the blood of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Christ. Is the shedding blood of Jesus Christ important doctrinally? Yeah. Does it sound vulgar sometimes? Yes, it does. But it doesn't make any difference. Okay, our our kind world does not understand it's by the blood of Christ that we are saved. It's the blood of Christ that had to be shed so that you and I could have salvation. But there's also the word of their testimony. The impact is that there's faithfulness. Faithfulness involved in this idea of, okay, we've overcome the wicked one by not giving in to him. We've overcome the wicked one by putting Christ ahead of everyone. That's going to be what's happening in the tribulation period. So we make some comments here. Evil will have its opportunities to work and do its thing. Okay, more so than even now. Satan will use his powers to promote evil. Evil Evildoers will do more and more in the latter days. Massive miracles are going to be done in those last days through Satan. Tremendous amount of miracles to get a lot of people deceived and follow. Okay, It'll be increasing, going on, but no matter how much power evil accumulates, it will eventually be defeated. Okay? We also know this. God will overcome all evil and remove every evildoer and trace of evil totally from planet Earth in the future. We wish it would happen right now. Yes? No? Okay. But it's going to be the seven years and then after that, He's going to clean up this world. He's going to remove it. He'll establish universal holiness, which all of this demonstrates the power of God, the absolute power of God, Okay, what he's able to do. Okay. Um, What about other characters who are on God's side? Well, when we start going to the book of Revelation, saying, okay, there's other people that are working for God. Chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, we're introduced to what we know as the 144,000. And I'm not not trying to be silly about this. These are not Jehovah Witnesses, okay? These aren't some group here on planet Earth that are walking around, say, join our church, and you might be able to become 144,000. That's not true. Here's what the text says about these people. Revelation 7, starting with verse 1. After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. He cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads here's the scene this is important to understand what he's doing in this text before the next seal is opened. this is towards the middle of the tribulation he says okay you angels who are in charge of the winds and some of the judgments you hold it off don't do anything don't, don't let any more judgments fall until we have sealed these certain servants of God now the sealing is very important you have to understand it from back in Bible days Sealing is taking a signet ring that had maybe your emblem, your family crest. You put it in the way, you pour the wax out, and you put your ring in there to leave that impression. That, that's an idea of the ceiling. The ceiling could be like at the grave, taking wax or something and put it around the crevices, and then putting a mark on it that says, "Okay, nobody can open this. This is a sealed grave." Sealing indicated a couple things. It indicated ownership and/or protection. So when you seal things... By the way, you probably do this with certain items too. I did this with books as I was going through school, college, and seminary. I would seal my books by always putting a stamp in the front of the, of the book. And I wouldn't typically put it on the first page. Because... First pages can be removed. Okay? So I would put it on the back of the cover... Because in order, if you're going to remove the cover of the book, you basically ruin the whole binding. You're not going to get anything out. So you put it in a spot that is going to say this, and it says, "This book belongs to the Library of Wayne A. Burgraf." That was my seal. That was my ownership. Okay? Has they always stayed in my book? Stayed in my library? No. There's a whole bunch in somebody else's already that have borrowed them. But the intent was to, you know, put a seal showing, okay, this is mine. And you've done that at times with vehicles or with possessions that you've sealed them, okay? This is the seal of the living God. He is making it clear that the living God owns these people. The living God is protecting these people. The seal is going to be on their foreheads, whereas the mark of the beast is on their right hand or, okay, on the forehead. God is going to put it on the foreheads. How this shows up, we don't know, okay? Okay? Does it show up under some type of spiritual scan? Could be. Is it going to be something that's visible to the naked eye? We don't know. We have no idea. Okay. They also have this text said in Revelation 14. They have the name of God written in their foreheads. Is that the mark? Is that the seal that God has stamped his name? Yahweh or whatever. We don't know. We just know these statements. There's a seal in chapter 7. The name of God in their foreheads. Chapter 14. They are, as a result, they're protected from the harm that's going to come to the earth, to the sea. Remember the judgments? Some of the judgments include heat, excessive heat that people are going to curse. It seems that these guys are going to be, they're going to be semi-protected from that heat. There's going to be this, um, there's going to be the boils upon, upon peoples, the illnesses, These guys appear to be protected from those illnesses. Animals are going to run rampant and they're going to start attacking people. One of the seals is animals going crazy. These guys are going to have a special protection. Have we ever seen in history where God provides special protection when the rest of the world around those who are protected were being hurt, being attacked by things happening in nature? When? When? Go all the way back to Egypt. Do you remember in Egypt? There was how many plagues? Okay. The ten different plagues, right? Ten plagues. Who was protected from these plagues? The land of Goshen or the Hebrews. They didn't experience, remember? The darkness flooded the land, but in the land of Goshen they had light. How did that work? I don't know. Okay? You don't either. Remember how the cattle were being destroyed of the Egyptians? But none of the the Jewish cattle. They were protected. They had God's favor and protection when the rest of the whole countryside was being devastated. The Jewish land of Goshen wasn't. Which, by the way, how did the Egyptians respond to that? Remember, there's a mixed message that comes out, a mixed, mixed response. Some would hate them, some would envy them, some even converted to, their, to going with them. So you have that same type of thing happening, okay, in the future that there's going to be protection of these guys, these 144,000. So they have a job. During this, three, this time period, they're going to go out and do their job, and they're going to be specially protected while they do their job. Does anybody know what their job is? What is it? Spreading the gospel. Their job is to go out and be witnesses. These 144,000. Now, we read what happens to them. It says, I heard the number which were sealed. There were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel of the tribe of Judah 12, Reuben 12, Gad, 12,000. Tribe of Asher, 12,000. Neph- uh, Nephilim, 12,000. Manassas, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Issachar, there was 12,000. Zebulun, there was 12,000. Joseph, there was 12,000. Benjamin, there was 12,000. That's all the tribes of Israel, correct? Each one has 12,000, correct? Where's Dan? Isn't Dan a tribe? Where's Ephraim? Do you, do you see him? In the, is it in your Bible? What happened to those two? Oh, Dan wasn't, Dan was a legitimate son of Jacob. Ephraim's not. Ephraim is the son, do you remember Ephraim is the, in Manassas were the sons of Joseph? So they're a second generation down. But Dan is one of the the sons. There's a problem here. If you go through your Bible and you look at the listing of the 12 tribes of Israel, are they always the same? No. Why is that? And why isn't Dan and Ephraim mentioned here? You study it and come back with the answer next week, okay?